As we begin our new sermon series on our ancient modern family, a spoof on the TV show Modern Family, which is about a collection of people that's very disparate, but they grow in love for one another and they become a very modern family. As we look at the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it's a collection of people that normally wouldn't be together, but they learn to love one another and act in common. So it's kind of a spoof on modern family. Let's turn to our ancient modern family. And as we do so, let's start at the very beginning because it's at the beginning that sets the groundwork for all of what we're going to be hearing. So, listen for God's word among us as I read from Acts chapter 1. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive and with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you have heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered around asked Jesus together, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has set by God's own authority. Rather, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said all these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Here ends our reading. Please pray with me. Dear God, we pray that you will give us a pure heart that we may see thee, a humble heart that we may hear thee, and a heart of love that we might serve thee, and by thy word alone, a heart of faith that we might abide in thee. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I'm going to ask you first to go on a trip with me down memory lane. I want you to think back to 1997, and I think most of you can remember 1997. Some fans pulled an all-nighter. They crowded under umbrellas or ponchos or got soaked to the bone as they waited before they could dash for upfront seats when the police finally let spectators into Grant Park at 6 a.m. They trudged through mud puddles as big as swamps, and they did so all to celebrate the Chicago Bulls winning their fifth NBA championship season in seven years. Now, perhaps you were there as well because there were lots of glimpses of women sitting on their boyfriend's shoulders so that they could catch a glimpse of the players. Or maybe you just watched the televised activities on TV because you had been at the game the Friday night before when the Bulls clinched the title from the Utah Jazz. Does any of this bring back memories, the Chicago Bulls and their fifth NBA title? During the celebration, the the players were invited to speak, and you could tell when you look at the clips that they were not scripted, but absolutely coached on brevity, because no player has more than about three or four sentences. In fact, you can count the punctuation marks on your fingers. The first one to come forward was the Bulls forward, Dennis Rodman, who was introduced as, I quote, waiting for his playoff shares because he needed the money. When he approached the podium, he was greeted with cheers and with jeers. So he starts, I'll keep this short and clean. 
alluding to the prior year's scandal of his profanity. But Rodman continued, a lot of people have criticized me for the things I've done and for the things I've said. The NBA has done a lot of things to keep me down. But you know what? There's only so much you can do to kick a man down, and I say to hell with the NBA. In this celebration with untold thousands of fans in front of him and across the globe listening on TV, Rodman turned it into an opportunity to talk about me, me. The next up was one of the co-captains who had heard his foot in the season but rallied with the team to play in the finals, and this is Scottie Pippen. There were smiles and barks of support erupted as he approached the mic, and I quote, I've been here 10 long seasons and we have five championships. We have one, and we look forward to number six. Scottie Pippen was all about the teamwork and inclusion of we, we, we. Finally, the man of the hour, the man with five NBA Finals Most Valuable Player Awards was introduced, Michael Jordan, and he began. On behalf of all the players, the coaches, and the Bulls, and the crowd roared. They had to wait for silence. And then he got to the heart of what he said, and I quote, this championship goes out to all the working people here in the city of Chicago who go out every day to bust their butts to make a living. We work for two hours to give you something to be proud about. You something. We, this is your team, this is your city, this is your championship. When Michael Jordan spoke, it was all about you. The me, the we, and the you perspectives. They allowed us a little glimpse into each player's motive and no surprise, what laid the foundation for their legacy as basketball stars for Chicago. And when you listen to them and you hear the crowd's response, you cannot help but wonder the impact on others as you compare an orientation that's focused just on me, or broadened to include so many others, or absolutely turn completely outward and look at the other person and include the you. The same could be asked of those people who were among the first generation following the resurrection of Christ who witnessed the world surely changing. If you know Jesus and if you can begin to get, comprehend Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, how do you then live? If you glimpsed the truth of a world and a life much bigger than your own and your tribe, how do you participate in bringing a new kingdom to earth, a reality? A man rarely spoke of in the church but who is largely credited with a significant corpus of writings in the New Testament is called Theophilus. He learned of Christ and became focused on not just himself or his family and small group, but on others and particularly you and me. His name appears only twice in all the New Testament, once in the dedication to the Gospel of Luke and again in the first sentence of the Acts of the Apostles. O oh, most excellent Theophilus is how he's called in the Gospel of Luke. He commissioned both Luke and Acts. The name Theophilus can be translated from the original Greek as Theo, we know that as God, and philo, which is lover. So Theophilus was a lover of God. And the dedication within these sentences implies that Theophilus commissioned these books. Because you see, in first century Palestine, it was very common for an author to acknowledge his patron in the opening sentences of every work. So it's very likely that Theophilus commissioned this. 
But scholars throughout the centuries have debated if there really was a Theophilus, some arguing that Luke and Acts are dedicated to all of those who love God or who by reading them will come to know and love God. Therefore, we too can claim to be Theophilus. Those who argue, though, that Theophilus truly existed point out that Theophilus was a common name and an honorary title amongst learned Romans and Jews of the era. He was wealthy enough to commission such extensive writing because no one by themselves would have had the wealth to have got, acquired the papyri and the ink. Those were precious commodities. It took significant wealth to write both of these books. So he was wealthy enough to commission such extensive writing and from such wealth most likely had earned social and political status and was very likely a member of the ruling party. And since both Luke and Acts are concerned with the radical inclusion of Gentiles into the kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in, Theophilus would have been a Gentile, very much like you and me. Some contend Theophilus was not just wealthy enough to commission the writing, but was also positioned within society to affect the distribution. Now, as soon as I read that, the former and consultant in me lit up because I know that a startup needs not only the money to take an idea to a product, but you also need money to get product and distribution to the end user. Or maybe that's where really God and the Holy Spirit come in. We know Theophilus was a man filled with the Holy Spirit and also of great courage to commission such a work. Now, we may need to dust off our Bibles if we can even find them, but Luke and Acts were and are radical treatises, subverting the power of Rome and temple, these were not, at the time, common literature as it is embedded in our current culture. Theophilus was truly thinking of the you, the other, at great risk to his own life. So think about it. Without the generosity and underwriting the cost of these books, and if we did not have a Gospel of Luke, we would not have the narrative of Jesus' birth. So therefore, no Christmas. We'd only have Epiphany. We could not hear the Benedictus or the Magnificat, great hymns contained in scripture and only in Luke. The stories of the Good Samaritan, the lost sheep, and the prodigal son would not exist, stories that are embedded in the fabric of our culture. We would not know of Jesus' walk on the road to Emmaus after Easter or his ascension or all of the events that are recorded in the Gospel of Luke. These writings are larger than just the simple text of the page. They have shaped our understanding of Jesus and God and forgiveness and the way in which we celebrate our faith. And without the Acts of the Apostles, we would have absolutely no link between the crucifixion and resurrection and Paul's letters. In short, our New Testament would be 26% smaller, and the texts that shape our faith would have not anywhere near as much substance. From what the author writes, the evangelist Luke, from what Luke writes, Theophilus knew of Jesus' life, ministry, and resurrection, but wanted to persuade with proof, such that Acts is peppered with names of specific places, and Roman and local officials' names are, can be traced into other historical documents. With so much changing in the world after the death of Jesus, Theophilus wanted facts, and he wanted to communicate a truth that we can stake our lives on. In the 60th or 70th year in the Common Era, which is when some believe this was written, people at the time might have thought that God came to earth and then just left. But Theophilus knew, as did those in the first generation after Jesus' death, that God did not leave. Present throughout the Gospel of Luke is not only Jesus, but Jesus working through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And the same spirit is breathed upon those who followed him, and it's the same spirit that's conferred upon us in baptism. These stories and acts underlie God's work through the simplest people, the peasants and the outcasts, the elite and the wealthy, and the Romans and the Jews, and us who are to change the world. The Acts of the Apostles also mark the beginning of an in-between time. The followers of Jesus wanted to know when he's coming back because we all crave resolution and want to rush from Jesus' resurrection and have God instead just hand us a fairer, a safer, and a freer world because we have such complex problems. The Acts of the Apostles, though, is addressed to those who would rather ask, isn't it just easier to wait for God to come again and set things right? And then we would not need to get into the messy and dangerous work of discipleship. You see, we could stay focused on me and mine and we and ours. Let someone else take care of all of the you and the other out there. The challenge for those followers and for us is to move from looking up at the sky to embracing Jesus' final command to roll up our sleeves and to get to work as Christ's witnesses in our city and to the very ends of the earth. There was a recent op-ed in the New York Times that I ripped out as soon as I saw it, thinking about this sermon. You might, too, have seen it by Nicholas Kristof. He was reflecting on the 15-year anniversary of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and shared information from his recent interview with them and then pondered what, I quote, their pillow talk might have been as, foundation, as the foundation bears their name. Fifteen years ago, they began what is now the largest family foundation and have since in that time given away $34 billion with the aspiration to tra transform health and nutrition for our world's poor. Christoph's back-of-the-envelope calculations estimate their initiatives can be credited with saving the lives of 33 million children and based upon the current investments and trajectory, probably another 61 million lives will be affected in the next 15 years. If you browse the Foundation's website, the Gates seem to agree on the future of the Foundation and are making big bets, but they are dependent upon one thing that they ask for from us. They say the one essential ingredient is, I quote, that people will expand their circle of compassion and willingly participate. Expand the circle of compassion. Now, they're not asking for the largesse, and nothing can compare to the gates, but they're asking for us in small ways to do what we can in our home and in the way in which we live and behave and give. Expand the circle beyond the just me to have compassion for others. Christoph also highlighted how Bill and Melinda differ in their personal approach and involvement. Bill is fervent about facts, science, research, and polo, and is polio and is more apt to be found interacting with officials, whereas Melinda is concerned that this alone will not enable them to make the leap from science to life gains. Her passion is in family planning and gender issues, those that Bill might call squishy in his estimate, but she spends a lot of time in the field with people face to face. They make a team and they respect their unique gifts. After hearing about their future plans for the Foundation in Poverty and Women and Family Planning and Nutrition, Christoph stopped and asked how these plans would influence the Foundation and, very importantly, their legacy. Bill Gates had one single retort. Legacy? We don't optimize for that. We don't optimize for legacy. They have a laser focus not on themselves or the Foundation, 
but that which they're pouring billions into with all their passion. They are focused on the you of the world, the other, the marginalized, those whose lives matter. Their legacy is not in caring about their legacy, but in caring about someone else. Legacy. Theophilus didn't seem to care much of his legacy as well, if one. We rarely ever hear his name, yet have benefited over the centuries from the investment and the gift he gave us. Two, we know the orderly account of God's gift to us and the Holy Spirit and how we too are blessed with the Holy Spirit. And three, we have a gospel and a companion book of Acts to remind us of who we are and what we are to become as followers of Christ. We may never know who Theophilus was, or maybe we are to see ourselves as Theophilus, to become lovers of God, but in doing that, we will risk our lives by living up to the command to take this gospel and to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name to be witnesses to the end of the earth. As we move into a moment of silence, I ask you to pray with me now. Gift-giving God, draw us in the Spirit's tether by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our minds to the mystery of faith and to the liberating word that the gospel is still moving out through the simplest actions of people no different from us. We give you thanks for the story of Jesus' life and the assurance we can rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit at all times. Send your blessing, we pray, on the Church Universal, where our questions find welcome, where there is light for our darkness, and hope for things that are not impossible when we rely upon your Spirit. Dear God, we ask you to draw us in the Spirit's tether. Amen.